0: This is episode 29 of the Progression Health Podcast, the last episode in a uh, mental health and mindfulness series, and I'm here with therapist Benjamin Rusick. Benjamin, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah,
1: my name is Benjamin Rusick. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I specialize in all sorts of things, um, mostly addiction, but I also work with uh, uh, young men, men of middle age with middle age issues. I work with teens, couples and families and all
0: sorts of stuff. So lots of experience in lots of different areas. And what is kind of like your main uh, area that you focus on, like that you enjoy working in most in terms of psychology and your, your therapy work? Say again? What's the area that you like to focus on most that you enjoy uh, working in most? I,
1: well, I like when it comes up, I like work. I like doing dream analysis and Jungian archetypal therapy. Um, that's sort of um, that. that I, don't, I always get the opportunity to do that. Um, but um, is it takes a while to get there with a the patient. You can't just start out with that stuff. Uh, but I like I like looking at, you know, symbols and lots of abstract concepts and stuff. But that's not always useful for folks. Uh, usually they just they have some basic goals they need to meet, you know, hey, my job's not working out, my relationship's not working out, et cetera. So.
0: Yeah, so I've heard a lot about like CBT, for example, and like those kind of, let's just say, like we'll call them evidence-based practices. But mm-hmm. I've heard of it like the Jungian style as well. So like, what's the difference? Why is like one more popular than the other? What, what's your kind of expert opinion on like Jungian versus like CBT style of therapy? Well, the thing about all therapy is about
1: how do you enact change? You know, and both of those modalities do that. Um, the difference is, is that CBT is a highly reductive form of thought, of changing your thought patterns and your behaviors. You know, do this if not this, then X. And Jungian of therapy, I think, encompasses that. So, you know, if you're if you are um, let's say if you have a um, if you're having a difficult relationship with you know. Your your spouse and you have a dream that is really big and full of uh, rich symbology. When you analyze that dream, you come to a deeper place within yourself about your connection with your spouse and about your relationship to uh, certain situations that might have previously made you uncomfortable. There can be a really transformative experience within that. But CBT is sort of more surgical, whereas archetypal therapy is more is is more it's more. I think it goes deeper and it's not always as predictable um, and I think it's richer. And I think it, it, it ends up doing the, They both end up doing the same thing, but I think archetypal therapy sometimes will get at things that CBT would have missed because CBT is so specific. Like what is the exact thought you're having about that? Oh, I'm, I'm not good enough. Okay. Well, let's talk about uh, your fo- calls for false core belief about how you don't feel like you're good enough. Whereas with archetypal therapy, all that stuff is kind of in there you know, you can, you can, you don't even have to bring up the fact that the person doesn't feel like they're good enough. It'll just show up in the dreams and the stories of their childhoods and of their unconscious. And it'll just, I don't know how to explain it. It'll just, it'll just, it'll happen. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the difference between if you went on a, um, if you like, it's like it's like reading about a vacation in, in, a, in a magazine as opposed to actually going on it. You know, like it's, it's so much more controlled when you're reading about it or reading about a foreign place. But if you actually go there, it's unpredictable. You might get, you know, you might get malaria. <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen to you. But it ultimately it's a deeper, richer, more human experience. And I think that's what Jungian archetypal therapy
0: offers. Yeah, that's, that's a good analogy. I was thinking it's like with CBT, it changes your relationship to the problem. Whereas with the Jungian explanation you gave, it sounds like you change as a person and then that changes your relationship to the problem. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, a lot of times
1: CBT gets pretty narrow on like, well, let's look at the little issue, you know, whereas archetypal therapy is
0: about, yeah, as you say, transformation. Yeah, so... Let's say somebody's listening. How would they know if they should go to, like, let's say, a CBT style therapist or Jungian style therapist? How would they know? one's better than the other.
1: I. It's hard. That's a really hard. The thing is, is that that's a very CBT type question that you just asked. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I think that that's a bad. I think that's a bad question. Uh, I don't mean to criticize you, but um, it, because I've I've worked with the most is I would
0: traditionally. The Progression Health Podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online therapy service, which will help you to more effectively manage your mental health. Mental health is very important, and it's something that all of us are realizing now, especially after the pandemic. During the pandemic, for me especially, it was very challenging, and I I reached out to BetterHelp. I uh, tried out a few of their licensed therapists and settled on one for the majority of the pandemic, and I found uh, the help that I received invaluable. And the great thing also is that you can speak to your therapist outside of sessions. Um, If it's not working out, you can switch. It's very affordable. It's really easy to use also. Um, And if someone hasn't tried therapy before, but you're kind of, you know, you're curious, I would highly recommend BetterHelp. So what we've done is uh, we've got a sign up link I'll attach in the show notes. And basically, you can get a discount to get started and uh, start improving your mental health today. So BetterHelp for better mental health. The Progression Health Podcast has teamed up with TRX. So TRX is a bodyweight training piece of equipment that you can hook up anywhere, anytime. And uh, I highly recommend it. I use it in every session with my clients. I use it to warm up uh, and also for stretching. Um, But if you are traveling, which is where I recommend everyone use it, you know, it's hard to get to a gym. uh, It's hard to find the time, but you could literally work out from your hotel room with the TRX. Um, and the door attachment that it has where it doesn't damage the door but it gives you an effective workout i also like to add in other things like uh glute bands and uh, resistance bands um, but once you have the trx then you can figure all that out so get yourself 50 percent off on the trx home workout equipment with the code progression health trx and boost your workout effectiveness and consistency
1: i would say well, somebody who was a um... Strict, you know, intellectual who focuses on logic and rationality and measure what you can measure should definitely see a CBT therapist, which is not true, because I've worked with those people. And at first, they were very suspect of me and my little shtick. And then all of a sudden, uh, Jungian art therapy opened up a lot of new doors for them because they'd never really gone there, as opposed to somebody who's maybe highly steeped in, in dreams and is completely into mysticism, um, needs something a little bit more concrete and reductive like CBT to keep them in line. You know, you just never know. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a real crapshoot. You, you've got to, you've got to really go out there and 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 read about the different modalities and maybe see two or three different therapists to find out which one is best for you. just interview a few therapists to find out which one you think is best for you, which one, you know, speaks
0: to you. It's a hard question to answer. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. It sounds like you should probably try different therapists and their approaches Mm-hmm. And, then, and then therapists should probably also have a few different approaches like the CBT and Yeah, Jungian.
1: I do, which I do. I, had, I do family systems as well. I do, I do CBT occasionally. I do narrative therapy, which is a lot like Jungian therapy. I do, um, uh, you know, motivational interviewing, you know, very hardcore solution focused therapy. Like, let's figure this out. You know, um, it really depends on what I think the needs of the patient are. If, if someone's life is on fire, yugian archetypal therapy is not what they need. They need something more concrete. So I, to answer your previous question, I would say that if you, have, if you, if you are, have a lot of issues, like you're drinking too much or you're about to get divorced or you have an anger issue, something, if you're in a really extreme place, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that CBT is the way to go, but yugian archetypal therapy might not be great to address real hardcore short-term problems.
0: Yeah, because the internal change takes longer, I think. Yeah,
1: and by the time the person changes internally, they may have you know, uh, you know, murdered their neighbor, burnt down a few neighborhoods, um,
0: and you know, uh, got hooked on heroin. I mean, it's just too slow. (laughs) Well, hopefully not. Yeah, but (laughs) that's always possible. Uh, You mentioned the family system, so I heard of a type of therapy. It's like, is it internal family systems or IFS? Is that something? uh, Well,
1: there's there's two. So internal family systems is more about how your your inner processes relate like if you have inner if you have you can have different i don't know it too well but it's basically if if different parts of you of you of yours of your unconscious or your mind are represented by different um people i suppose and it's like you're getting them to relate and you're getting those different parts of you to talk and to connect which is to me sounds a lot like jungian archetypal therapy a lot of these new therapies like um attachment theory and stuff are bait and self there's something called self psychology are all cherry-picked young every single one of them uh they just take concepts from Jungian therapy or maybe they both evolve separately but it sure seems like they have and and they go oh look these these things all make sense uh, family systems is nothing like that family systems is you you look at the, the actual your actual literal family You know, um, and the idea is with a family system, let's say if somebody has an addiction issue, you look at the whole family as having the addiction issue. How is how are the dynamics in the family contributing to the manifestation of an addiction in one person? And it's not like you're blaming the whole family, but a lot of times, you know, for instance, a good example would be a child who is, um, let's say, cutting herself and sneaking out at night and drinking with her friends. Is expressing the pain and anger she feels about her parents who are fighting like cats and dogs every night, and she can't even be in the house because it's driving her nuts. And so she and she also expresses her pain by cutting herself. And so that's a very that's very much oftentimes with teenagers, especially family systems, can be a really strong approach. And you also can look at uh, intergenerational family stuff. So you'll do these things called genograms, where you kind of, uh, if I may, uh, like you'll, you'll do. Um, like like you'll do like like you'll do like like circles uh I don't know if you can do it circles are women and squares are men so like these two would be sisters and let's say this is uh her father and they let's say they have different fathers and let's say okay this father was an alcoholic and she was an alcoholic and you start to map out the whole thing and there's this whole sort of tree that you do it's it's much more elaborate than that but there's like a there's like a there's an actual, you actually map out the different generations and you look for patterns and it's pretty cool.
0: Um, It's pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah, Ben just held up a diagram um, of different shapes basically explaining your family. And I feel like you could say, oh, I have an issue with alcohol because it's in my family. Would that be kind of like some kind of a very basic connection you could make? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I'm just thinking of how we said different therapists should have like different styles and um, you should try them out, and I'm just thinking of my own experience with therapy, where I, I've been to three therapists, and the first one was good, the second one was better. So as I kind of got older, I feel like I knew what I wanted to work on and stuff like that. Um, is that the kind of the common sort of experience that, that people should expect, where the first time they go to therapy, uh, it's not going to work right away? Like it might take, you know, a couple of sessions or a couple of different therapists before they see change in themselves.
1: Yeah. Change is very hard to measure sometimes, you know, because if, if somebody comes in and they're using drugs and they stop using drugs and there's something their life gets better, like, wow, the therapy is working. No, not necessarily. You're just not taking drugs. But then again, one could say that you needed to go to therapy to do something better for yourself so that you could allow for transformation. Transformation is, is also tricky because if you think about a tree... That needs watering. If it, if a plant's not getting the water and the sunlight that it needs, and the fresh air and the earth it needs, it's going to wither. But a therapist can give you very basic things like, "Hey, stop using drugs, uh, stop working ninety hours a week. Um, maybe you should go on vacation. Maybe you should do something. Start drinking, high, keeping yourself hydrated, and exercising. And suddenly the tree will grow into its natural form." So is that really the therapist? So that's more like the. Th- the, the, the I think a, a better way of saying it is is, is 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 when can you when do you notice that the therapeutic process is enacting change not necessarily the therapist so um and as far as deeper long-term change that that's a it's it's the thing about it is that that that's really a, the trickiest part of it because what you're really talking about is an increase in consciousness and nobody really knows what consciousness is in the first place but you know that like say the ross from from two years ago would have a You know, if you could speak to yourself of five years ago, you'd have a lot to say to that person about life and and growing and and stuff. And you can't measure, but you know your consciousness has increased. So therapy is really about growth and grow and growth of consciousness. And how that happens is is it's very hard to say. Um it seems to be that you've got to find out what your work is with a capital W. You know, like some people have their work is learning working on their self-esteem. Other people it's uh, reducing their anxiety, it's or it's forgive or or maybe they're angry at their mother or their father, or maybe uh, they're highly impulsive people. You got to find out what your work is and sort of carry your work with you wherever you go. And like, oh, this is my work and I'm in this situation now. And oh, I, I remember this conversation that I had in therapy where I'm I get really nervous around, um, you know, when I meet uh men my age, uh, okay, I should step into the moment here, instead sort of running like hell, you know, and that's. Is that the therapy doing it, or is it the person using the things that they learned in therapy to help them help themselves grow in their everyday life? If that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like when you uh, work with a therapist, you hire somebody sort of like in your corner to kind of give you uh, yeah rational they're like they're, sort of feedback.
1: They're like a referee, sort of, and a and a mentor, and a this and a that. But the but the process is really up to the patient.
0: You know. Yeah. They can't be forced to, a therapist would never force someone to do anything. Well,
1: they can't. I mean, sometimes I wish I could.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you spoke a little bit about addiction and that you've done work in addiction. Could you just explain what is addiction?
1: Addiction Um, is any, uh, substance or process. So a process would be like sex or gambling or spending money. Um, uh, that you are engaged in that is causing damage to your life and you're doing it anyway and you can't stop that's what addiction is so you can be addicted to anything so if you're playing video games let's say there's some somebody's playing video games for four hours a day and uh, his girlfriend says you're addicted to video games you're playing four hours a day well it's not really hurting his life if he let's say he's making plenty of money Everything's working in his life. The only thing that's kind of not going so great is his girlfriend's kind of annoyed at that. That then is that really an addiction? Not in my opinion. But if he's playing video games four hours a day and he's missing work and his uh he his his children are running amok because he's not parenting or or he's not taking care of himself, he's not exercising and his body is going to crap and he knows that and he's doing and he keeps playing video games anyway, then he's got himself an addiction.
0: So could, could we be addicted to like anything, for example? Any, we... And you
1: can fill in those blanks that you can be addicted to vacuuming your hall carpet. I mean, whatever it is, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just how often do you see these things happen? You know, like more, I'm getting more and more patients who are addicted to marijuana and not because marijuana is necessarily good or bad, but because they're smoking marijuana and they're noticing that, that smoking marijuana is harming their lives and they can't stop. So they come see me. Right. And video games too, porn is a big addiction. See a lot of that.
0: So it makes me think about the the consciousness. The more conscious you become, the more you could say, oh, that actually, that habit is actually negatively affecting my life. That's the addiction.
1: Yeah. And so the more awake you become, yeah, you become awake to little patterns and little addictions here and there. You know, I recently quit watching uh, online videos. Uh, I was watching these horrible TikTok videos and it was really destroying my sleep and I didn't know it. And was I addicted to TikTok? I guess I kind of was because it was doing damage to my life. I didn't know it was doing damage to my life. And um, I stopped. And so was it, an addi- was it an addiction because I could stop? Maybe it wasn't, you know, I don't know. I just didn't know it was a bad habit. I didn't know that it was hurting me.
0: Yeah, so that, that's stopping. So uh, is addiction like curable or is it, is it just we just try and manage it? Well, over the Well, You manage
1: it. You, addiction isn't usually cured, it's outgrown which is very different because you, you, you know, it's like a little, you know, if you, if you stub your toe, I use this analogy a lot and you're five years old, it's a big deal. But when you stub your toe as an adult, it's yeah, whatever. It still hurts. And addiction is kind of like that. As you grow as a person, as you experience an expansion of your own personality, uh, your ability to manage, let's say a craving for heroin uh, is you just have more resources, you know. You might have a bigger community. You've got a bigger, you've got a bigger space in your heart and your mind to be able to
0: deal with all that stuff. Yeah, that's actually my own experience with like with alcohol, where I had the case for drinking versus being—I just call it sober. It's just kind of like the community, the resources I had to be sober. Not that I had an addiction, but I just didn't like the relationship I was having. Kind of like the TikTok example. Um, it was like the. Resource i had to to stop which just became stronger and i outgrew it over time um, is there any kind of like i don't know recipe or formula to like build that sort of uh, to outgrow an addiction mm-hmm. that you know of so if somebody has some sort of if somebody has like an addiction or some negative habit that's affecting their quality of life is there any formula or sort of like you know guidelines you could give for them to outgrow the negative habit
1: um well it depends how severe it is i mean if someone's a junkie wandering the tenderloin i don't think i could you know i couldn't do that um well you start by looking at how many hours of sleep do you get a night (laughs)
0: yeah
1: you should be getting at least seven and a half hours of sleep per night every night um uh you know are you in good physical health are your how are your relationships in your life Uh, start looking at your life the way you would look at, you know, look at your own life kind of objectively if you can, and that's what a therapist can help you do and see if you're satisfied. See if you like the scores that you get. And if you don't, what are you going to do about it? Um, it's difficult for people to look at their lives objectively. It really is hard to do that. I challenge anyone to do it. You know, most people are wrapped up in either with fantasies of what they think they have or what they think is, or what they think they're being deprived of. They have a lot of resentments and entitlements and and they're just wrapped up in all these fantasies that have nothing to do with actually what's happening in their life. Like, you know, um, they're always looking to the future or looking to the past about about one thing or another. And they're not actually addressing what's actually happening. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. So then. Does social media have anything to do with that? Like, as you know, just for people's general mental health. uh,
1: Well, yeah, I mean, social media attacks the ego and says we're doing better than you and if you don't have these things you're you're not a, you're not a decent human being and you're going to suffer and that you are suffering you know because you don't you're not eating this really cool you know you're not drinking this mojito in this really cool patio out on this serene you know cove in mexico uh with you know, you know what I'm saying it's like you're it's it's just it, it's it's a big ego war out there basically and everyone's everyone's comparing everything to each other and it's just they're not people aren't actually trying to get information they're they're trying to they're trying it's like it's like they're trying to prove something to everybody else and it's horrible the thing about social media also is that it's done in the name of connection but the more connection there is in social media the less connection there is in reality you know um it's it's extraordinary how much connection is, is is missing from our culture. I mean, there's I would I, I can't measure any of this, but my sense is, is that there's there's a there's a, there's, a, there's a there's a what's the word a negative correlation or a something or other between the rise of connection electronic connection and the and the fall of soul connection. I would say they're directly negatively correlated.
0: Like a negative feedback loop, it's kind of like the more people connect on social media, the less in person.
1: The, the less they connect in person. I mean, when's the last time, you know, you talked to your, your neighbors? You know, if we didn't have social media, if we didn't have, this is a little extreme, if we didn't have telephones and and stuff, we would have to connect with our neighbors. How else would we know anything? You know, how else would you survive? Your neighbors would be your people. Those would be literally the people, the only people you'd have. You know, connection with unless you ventured outside of your neighborhood so technology has is really really useful but it's
0: um incredibly divisive and isolating incredibly so yeah that's a very interesting point so the way that people are like sort of i guess kind of showing off on social media like where does that come from and if somebody noticed like they themselves were kind of using social media to show off what would you recommend
1: um turn it off
0: <laughs> there we go, just yeah, go, ahead.
1: turn off, I mean i unfollow I a lot of people on Facebook that I find just like you know, look at me in my amazing life. it's like, look how, look how early I got up in the morning to work out. fuck you, you know, I don't care that you're deadlifting at five a m that's that's you <laughs> we were mentally ill for doing that, you know like I you know, or look at me and my little dog in the park, and isn't she amazing and look at how amazing my life is. It's like, no, your little dog looks annoying. I, I, I'm not, I don't want, you know, I, nothing like, no, you know? So um, I, 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 when I, when, now when I see people on Facebook kind of what do they call it, humble bragging, whatever it is, yeah. I, I kind of, I see that as a deficit when somebody goes on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is and to, to show off how amazing everything is. I look at it as is like, this person has something to prove. And, and I kind of, I kind of get a little nauseous when I see it, you know? Yeah. Um, but maybe I'm jealous. Who knows? Maybe I'm just like, ah, fuck that person. You know, I want, I want those things. I'm, I'm unfollowing you. You know, it's possible,
0: but I don't know. So then what value do you think there is in social media if people are using it incorrectly? Like how would you well, interact with well, it? there's incredible in
1: value in it because I mean, survival. You can get information you can like okay there's a hurricane coming you know there's a there's a there's i mean i have this one app called citizen app that talks about you know all the stuff happening in the city it's incredibly useful right if there's a shooting down the street i'm not going that direction right that's good i think i think social media is really good for basic survival um it's really good for it it affords us an enormous amount of opportunity actually to connect and to learn good things and meet new people and do all sorts of amazing stuff it's just that we often do not i think we just use it to feed our own neurotic tendencies we don't i don't think we use it correctly so all the things that social media is meant to do all the all the little missions that all these little apps and things purport to 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 do are are there but we just don't do them it's kind of like oxycodone was was created to reduce pain and, patient, you know, doctors, there's all these doctor testimonials early on, of course, big pharma promoted this saying, you know, this is oxycodone is great. It's not addictive. It, it just it takes away all the pain. And it does. All those drugs, all those drugs do what they're supposed to do and are really, really beneficial
0: if used correctly.
1: However, we don't do that because we're sick in the head.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think that, like, a few drinks is good and, like, a lot of drink is, is like, you know, you get that hangover you you do silly things when you have a little bit too much so Mm -hmm. if we could only figure out like the the correct way to use these powerful tools like you know uh medication and social media we would Mm -hmm. be just so so much better off Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so just with uh the social connection in person then i think you said we kind of lack that a little bit could you just talk a little bit about that like why it's social connection in person is so important, even though social media is so powerful, like right now. Oh,
1: uh, social, can it, why is, just so, so your connection is, why is social connection important in person? Yeah. Um, that's kind of like asking, you know, why is, why is, you know, working out in the fresh air with the human beings doing a support, doing a sport uh, better than, you know, uh, sitting at home on a yoga mat, lifting weights on, on YouTube. You know, I mean, it's like, it's totally different. I mean, we are built, we have, you know, um, therapists always like to say hundreds of thousands of years of evolution. You know, they love to say that because it makes them sound official and scientific and smart, but it's true. We are evolved to be social animals. Um, We are social nomadic creatures. Um, Why did I say nomadic? Well, nomadic and agricultural, whatever, but we are meant to be with other humans. Uh, And I can't prove this, but I'm pretty sure that a lot of parts like like here's the thing. So your physical therapists, like when someone gets an injury, uh, let's say their right leg is injured and their left leg gets overworked. Right. And the physical therapist has to get the person once they're once they're once they're uh, all better to get that other leg going again. Right. It's stiff. It's atrophied. Um, there's been no blood flow because the person hasn't been using it and their body's all messed up because they've been out of whack because they've had the compensating of this injury, right? So I, I think that the brain is very much like that, that we tend to atrophy. We don't use all parts of our mind. And I think that when we're social, we use parts of our brain that we wouldn't normally use, that we don't normally use when we're being, just when we're isolated in our apartments on the freaking computer. And I think that when you are with people, and I cannot prove any of this, I believe that we are more mentally, emotionally and spiritually active and alive and our whole being is functioning and it's healthy because everything it's like, it's like another better. Another analogy would be when you work out, you've got to change up your workout, right? Because if you get used to it, like I do jujitsu and I, you know, I, I, I started doing um, some cross training and I got, I lost five pounds immediately because my body wasn't used to it right? It's the same thing. You've got to change it up. You, you, social media is too, it's the same. It's, a, it's, it's, it's also also social media and stuff is also about dopamine. You get a dopamine hit from, from clicking things and watching stuff. And you get dopamine hits, you get adrenaline hits, you get um, endorphins, and you get all these things. And you're not really out there using your being. <laughs> you're just delivering drugs to your system. How the fuck could that be healthy for you? This is impossible. So nowadays, I actually, you know, I'll force myself to go outside and meet people and do the things Um, because it's just, I can, I mean, I can get on my stupid phone. You know, I I just subscribed to the New York Times, which is a terrible mistake because they've got this, they've got this game on there called the spelling bee. And it's like, they give you like seven letters and like, okay, there's 146 words, figure them all out. And I'm there on my phone. like, I'm going to figure out all these words. And I'm not out there in the world because I got my face in my phone doing stupid stuff. How could that be possibly be healthy?
0: You know? Yeah, it's like uh, it's a very good imitation to real life, social media and being on the phone when we're not really kind of like in the arena, you know, living life.
1: No, we're not. We're, 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 we're not. And we're using the same pathways in our brain over and over and over again.
0: You know, that's ugh. It's gross. Kind of regression, almost, if, if you're stuck inside and you're on the phone. Yeah. And yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. For sure. I recommend that people, if you want a really awesome commentary on this, uh, watch the series Station Eleven, which is on, H, I think it's on HBO, which is about a post-apocalyptic world in which um, it's, it's basically a, a story about the first generation of children after the fall of technology.
0: Right. <laughs> I recommend it. Could go. Yeah. Interesting. I'll have to take a, uh, a look at that. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned like a physical therapist and, and pain um, and on your own podcast, you had an episode on pain. And I was just thinking about how does pain and our mental health, how do they interact? So, for example, I know that when people are underslept, they're more sensitive to pain. So do you, do you see clients when they're struggling more with their mental health that they have more symptoms of like pain and injury and stuff like that?
1: Um. Well, yes, um, because they have reduced bandwidth and they can't handle, you know, I had, uh, I worked with, uh, um, you know, I've worked with couples when, you know, one of them gets sick or the nanny gets sick and suddenly they're fighting like pets and dogs because they don't have any extra bandwidth. Um, yes, yeah, Stress on the system. I mean, if I could sum up a lot of therapy, I would say that just reducing stress on this, it's like the tree analogy you know the, the healthier the tree is the more the more it can withstand the hurricane you know the more it can withstand life so keeping yourself healthy and reducing stress on the system is is is
0: absolutely key did that yeah. answer your question yeah it kind of makes me think that with therapy it helps you to like plug your roots further into the ground where the therapist mm-hmm. can kind of be like you know the, you know the new trees that are planted and they might have a post beside them that props them up a bit you know yeah maybe not that literal but like kind of like basically support for for, uh, the bandwidth as you say
1: yeah um also i want to go back a little bit and point out the irony that here we are making a podcast which is a function of social media and uh which makes us hypocrites which i don't care about but keep going
0: (laughs) yeah it's like uh one rule for everybody else and another rule for us (laughs) yes but fuck them so anyway keep going yeah um and then also you you mentioned sleep a little bit so then just like how common is it that people who uh their mental health isn't uh as well the the bandwidth isn't as uh, high as they'd like it to be how often is it that they're also under sleeping
1: um like 80 percent of the time
0: wow wow
1: yeah in my in my practice not necessarily that's not the world but yeah yeah they're like yeah i'm getting six hours a night like it's nothing like you got your brain Six, I want to grab them and shake them. No, sleep is sleep. Sleep is more important than food. You know, yeah. it goes in my, this is the, my hierarchy of needs go air like oxygen. then next is water. And the next is sleep. And then food.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and then what are kind of like some typical, like kind of mental health, like sort of symptoms where the, the people are not sleeping enough. What will people notice with their mental health? Like, kind of signs that it's declining because they're underslept.
1: Um, uh, higher anxiety, higher depression, um, higher appetite. Actually, when you don't sleep enough, you you crave junk food. There's a there's actual science behind that. I'm sure you're aware of it. Um, weight gain. Um, uh, shorter fuse, snappish, uh, reduced. Uh, ability to perform to perform at work um you 're just not as smart when you 're not sleeping enough as much um
0: you 're not as nice of a person it sounds like
1: <laughs> yeah well you 're just not as efficient as a person yeah you know you're you're they 've done multiple studies on dozens of studies on this stuff where your capacity to to remember stuff and 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 do things with accuracy drops by sometimes like a thousand percent if you don 't sleep enough like a thousand percent you know. So, yeah, sleep, folks. Make it a, I make sleep a, sleep is one of my number one priorities.
0: Um Anyway, yeah, you're such a demanding job that you need to perform well, so um, yeah, I can't
1: I can't afford to go to work tired.
0: You know? Yeah. I've absolutely. got to be,
1: you know, I've got to be in tip-top shape mentally.
0: Yeah. And and then on the flip side, I've heard that people who are depressed sometimes they sleep more is that have you noticed that
1: yeah that happens too uh that's that's some people will turn off they'll just sleep for like 18 hours that's that's also that's a coping mechanism that's not healthy either yeah for sure
0: so kind of moderation somewhere in the middle
1: somewhere well eight uh you know eight to nine hours seven to eight hours uh but more than that is not so good i mean just like if you're sleeping for 12 hours that means you're not outside it means you're not exercising that means you're not uh, eating regular meals it means you're not socializing. If you're in your bed unconscious, most of the time you're not living your life. <laughs> you
0: know, yeah, your your bandwidth is going to be very limited. You're not really yeah. kind of if you're if you use like a, a light bulb, it wouldn't be fully switched on if you're kind of sleeping that much. Whereas yeah. if you're outside and engaging with people and fully living life, it'd be so much more going on. Um, yep. So just going back to like the the Jungian style of therapy then. So uh meaning how important is like meaning in our lives um and is there any kind of like common sources that you find help people who are struggling with their mental health to uh, build a sense of meaning
1: oh um well it's important to have goals because it kind of keeps you moving keeps you going um but meaning is deeper than that you, you know, Carl, it's like because the thing is, is that it's it's not clear that meaning is even exists. You know, that, that what if this is all just a bunch of random randomness? You know, Carl Jung himself wasn't even sure if there was meaning. I, I, he writes about it in his memoir. Um, so we've got to kind of create you've got to kind of create a narrative, you know, like meaning for me is working on, you know, having meaningful relationships in my life. I like to write. Um, so that's meaningful to me. I like to create things. I like to help people. I like to see people grow and improve. I like to watch, you know, I've got this school next to my office where I watch the kids run around and scream and yell. And that's meaningful because it's like there's just so much energy. And they're there. I think about those kids being the future. Those kids are going to run the world someday. And that's really meaningful to think about what to me, like this this temporal arc of like, you these little kids, where are they going to be? And I was those kids once, and here I am now doing this stuff. And So I think about, I think about, um, yeah, man, for me, there's meaning everywhere and that's the richness of life. You know, um, that's the thing that fills you up. But if you chase, if you chase meaning and, you know, if you're like trying to sleep with as many people as possible or take all the drugs or become as famous as possible, those types of narratives, as far as meaning is concerned, I find they don't really fill people up. They they, they usually have people feeling empty,
0: you know? So, meaning for like sort of personal gain is almost like a road to unhappiness.
1: It can be, not always. I mean, I I've, I know people that make a lot of money, and it's meaningful because they get to take care of their families. They get to help other people with the money. Um, they are also uh, some of them are really afraid of starving because they, that's their kind of the neurotic tendency. Is like, oh my god, I got to be as rich as possible, or nothing will work. Um, so there's that aspect, but um. But that doesn't mean that that has meaning. Like it's not, they're not fulfilled by it. It's sort of like it almost quells a neurosis. It's like they're, instead of feeling absolutely out of their minds with fear, they're like a little less out of their minds with fear because they've got $10 million or whatever it is, right? But that's not necessarily meaningful. And it's not, And, just, and what I, so what I'm really saying is that just because someone chases wealth and chases women or chases drugs does not mean that they will be empty, vacuous people. It just means that, it's not gonna probably not gonna fill them up the way they expect it or they what they wanted. It's probably not gonna give them what they're
0: looking for. Yeah, they might be operating kind of under like false pretenses and
1: yeah, and they they'll just be like, why am why don't I feel why don't I feel good you know, about this? You know, I mean, I've got a friend right now who's building quite the empire, and uh, you know, he thinks it's gonna make him happy, and maybe it will, but I doubt it. But it might, you know, it might. Yeah.
0: So then, how would you kind of cultivate a sense of meaning? I know you've given examples of your own meaning. That's uh, what are some cool. suggestions?
1: I mean, you you got to wait until somebody in the when your therapy room starts talking about something that that seems meaningful to them, and you you ask it. You just say something simple like, "Hey, say more about that." You kind of you just you just it's like it's like it's like you're in a it's like you're out in the garden gro- gardening, and you see a volunteer come up. You know, the, the term volunteer like when a like a like a, a, a something you didn't plant just pops up and it's useful, like a tomato plant or something like that. So something pops up, like a some some thought or some idea pops up and it just seems really meaningful and like out of nowhere. Like then you go and you cultivate that, you water it, you give it some. Like hey, let's check this out. That's really useful. Let's 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 grow this thing
0: that just sprouted in your head. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, I get that. I'm like thinking uh, when life gives you mental uh, lemons. So like when you get some sort of like source inspiration or some sort of like jolt of energy you like mm-hmm. you make lemonade you make you make something out of that sort of whatever that, that kind of whatever's given you life
1: yeah but it's not always it's not always sour the first sometimes it's, <laughs> it comes up as peaches or strawberries and you make strawberry pie which is you ever had strawberry pie no but now i want some so yeah. <laughs> i have to have you some have some strawberry pie with whipped cream on it no, oh so yes the whipped the cream,
0: cream. Mm, mm, mm. somebody get me a strawberry pie In Ireland, it's apple tarts, so I haven't... uh, Apple tarts. Yeah.
1: Well, one of my things, I've got a a binge eating disorder, so my food is my insanity. So you got me, you got me. We got started. I shouldn't have brought up the whole farm analogy. Now
0: I'm I'm hungry. Your head's off the races. You're thinking of food. (laughs) Yeah. But um, yeah, speaking of uh, just going back to the addictions again and, and, and going on food, you know, like food's essential for life. So people might say like, oh, no, I couldn't be addicted to food. But uh, how, how would someone know they're addicted to food? And you know, how is that possible if it's already required for life?
1: Um, well, it's one of the d- toughest addictions to kick because you got to eat. Yeah. Um, well, you're addicted to food if you can't stop eating and you're gaining weight uh, and you're, gotta, you're binging. You know, it's, if it's effing up your life, it's effing up your health. You got heart issues. You got, you know, other types of issues because you can't stop eating. Then, then you got yourself an addiction. Uh, it's no freaking fun. There's other eating disorders, you know, anorexia where people restrict, or bulimia where they, where they, you know, they vomit up their food. And those are different. But um, you know.
0: yeah, if, if you had to say what percentage of the population do you think has an addiction of some kind, <laughs> I feel like you know the more I talk about it, the more I think the majority of people have something. You know,
1: I, I would absolutely say that the majority of the population. I wouldn't. Know what majority, um, because that's an impossible thing to, for me to measure. It's a very, it's a very precise question. You know, I would say, I would say that a far more people are, for instance, alcoholics. I think that would be a better way place to start. Is like, what percentage of the population are actually alcoholics? It wouldn't surprise me if the number of people, if the, the percentage was like 40 percent or thirty percent. That there was some level of alcoholism that with that it was that widespread, you know, not necessarily severe, like passing out in the gutter, drunk alcoholic, but like it's it's i think I think that it's
0: extraordinarily high yeah, I think uh, when you look at the the guidelines for alcohol intake, it's like one drink for a woman a week and two for a man, something like that you know don't quote me on that, but yeah, and then you you see how we would typically drink in one sitting. You know, we blow that weekly amount out in in one night. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. I mean, notice how often people talk about, well, I drank and I don't remember what happened. (laughs) You drank to the point of blacking out. That's a common story. That should not be a common story.
0: No. (laughs) Consciousness is like a a gift, you know, to be aware and to be able to think and to lose that is frightening. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember watching a game recently, and a guy I got talking to at the bar was like, "Oh yeah, I just I drove home drunk. I shouldn't do that, you know." Yeah, that was, that was the second time. That was the second time I did that. You know, oh that was terrible. I shouldn't do it. And I'm just like, what What's going on here? You're telling me you shouldn't do it, but you did it twice. <laughs> it's like such a disconnect. But um, that's just kind of unfortunately the the situation we're in with the amount of uh, addiction there is. Um, so then. Another podcast you had, you were talking about a, a life coach, and that's something that I've heard of a lot recently, and like, people can become qualified as life coaches. So like, what's the difference between a life coach and a therapist, and is there a time to see a life coach over a therapist? or Do you see them together? Could you well, explain a bit about that.
1: Fortunately, I have a whole podcast episode on my podcast. Look, just tell me what to do, available on iTunes, dedicated to this exact question. However, I will answer it. Um. Honestly, man, the, the main difference is, is that it's, oh man, it's just, it's just, the sheer amount of training. So therapists, so a life coach, therapists have very specific training. They, they, they're, they're trained to recognize, uh, recognize certain symptoms and they can diagnose and, um, they know they have all this, this you know, they know all these safety protocols, you know, when to send someone to the hospital, you know, when to call the police, blah, blah, blah. There's all these boundaries and safety and ethical issues that your trained therapist uh, knows about that uh, a life coach may not necessarily know about. Um, their training generally is only about a year, but a life coach, but this is, that's, I'm speaking generalities, a life coach is, is just, it's an unregulated field. So anybody can call themselves a life coach. You, can, you could, anybody can get a piece of paper and put life coach on it and hand it out and say, I'm a life coach. Um, I mean, there are organizations, private organizations that will that will give you a a, a title life coach. But that's it's not like it's it's not like, you know, I'm like like the government of the state of California is I'm licensed by the the state of California. And that doesn't make it necessarily better or worse. It's just I don't know how to answer that. It's a kind of a complicated question, but basically um, a good life coach is as good as any therapist. And a good therapist is as good as any life coach. It's all just words. Because you if you put two people in a room, we talk, did we talk about this? If you put two people in a room, the one who's more healed will heal the other one. Oh, right. Right? And if the life coach is a, in a really strong position and a really good person and, and really knows their client really, really well, who's to say that that life coach couldn't heal that person as well as a therapist? You know? Uh, plenty of therapists—they just go and they check boxes. You know, they just spend a bunch of years in school, spend a bunch of money, and think that oh, I'm a therapist now, so therefore I know something. And they're worthless. Whereas a life coach might be, my God, I can't afford to go to school for all those years. Uh, I really have a lot to offer the world, and they study like hell, and they they take tons of classes on their own, read tons of books about healing on their own, learn all the ethical things on their own. They're not necessarily as technically qualified as a therapist, but they may be amazing. It's hard to tell um different life coaches also specializes and specialize in different areas Um, some life the traditional life coach is very goal-oriented you know like if you like a career a career life coach but uh you know can can be very concrete and like do this do that do this do that do that do that do that um but that's not always what a life coach is um it's a hard question to answer man because i've encountered so many incompetent therapists And so many life coaches I thought were really awesome. And I've also encountered a lot of life coaches who are are pompous, pretentious fools and were practicing some really unethical stuff because they didn't have any consequences because they weren't therapists, right? A life coach, what if somebody with an addiction went to a life coach? The life coach could, could, in a way, kill that person because they can say anything, right? They're not trained around some really rigorous, they're not as rigorously trained in some of those areas. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But then again, what if you what if what if someone with an addiction went to a life coach who was in the program in Alcoholics Anonymous and knew addiction backwards and forwards? You could easily send someone with addiction to a therapist who says, Yeah, I'm I'm trained in addiction because they had three classes in it in school and and they don't know anything. It's it's a really tough question to answer.
0: Yeah, I think you're kind of speaking to the power of like connection. So if you get the right connection, it can change your life. You know, a good therapist, a good life coach. wrong one yeah
1: anything any human being i mean you could talk to some you know homeless guy in the corner and he could change your life tomorrow you don't know it's just that when someone becomes a therapist or a life coach they chances are a little bit better that they're in a position to help you than the guy in the corner (laughs) you know
0: yeah yeah they're likely more healed uh, unfortunately it's
1: really difficult to find people who can help you in this world And that's really the question. How do I find somebody who can help me?
0: Yeah. You're making me think of uh, gurus and how gurus have risen in popularity in just different areas. Like uh, one of my clients just said, I have a guru and, uh, you know, teach me exercise and stuff. And then when I heard about this guru, I was kind of like, I don't know about the the relationship this guru has with their, you know, exercise habits. Uh, She sounded very like unwavering and uncompromising to the client. So, um, you know, what does that say that there is a rise? Do you think there's a rise in gurus in different fields uh, in in the world? And uh, what do you think that says?
1: Oh, I mean, I think people are looking for family and connection, and I think gurus give that kind of they kind of mainline that, you know. Um,
0: sort of gurus, monetize it.
1: Yeah, they monetize it. I mean, a guru can be a great thing, and a guru can be a terrible thing. One, one of the real traps of a guru is they, they make people feel like they're experiencing love
0: by identifying
1: with, you know, you come in and you identify with everybody else in the group and, and they instantly love you because you're following all their ideas. But the problem is, is if you suddenly start to individuate a little bit and have separate ideas, a lot of times you'll get kicked out of the group or you'll be chastised or ostracized by the group. And that can be really painful. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that come along with gurus that are that are pretty risky i, I think i think the rise if, if there is indeed a rise of of guru gurudom uh right now um i think it's a result of a lack of 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 sense of connection and family and belonging and home and fragmentation in the world just an increased fragmentation in the world and yeah, that
0: sounds pretty sad that there's a lack of uh like family and connection is that do you think that trend is real
1: without question yeah that goes back to our earlier conversation around technology and social media
0: okay and then just to kind of circle back a little bit again so social media just to be clear is it's kind of like an inadequate uh way to connect there's no replacing the real in-person connection
1: yeah it, re- it replaces it, re- it replaces uh everything terrible
0: yeah um so then what are some ways that people can like you know Get back that connection that they're they're kind of losing nowadays. Like, is there any sort of easy way to do that? No. To start. To start.
1: No. Walk outside your front door and wave to your fricking neighbor. How about that? Call your mom. Go hang out with your siblings. Um uh uh go call your call three friends a day and ask them how they are. Um Go to uh, start going to church on Sundays. You know, I'm not a huge advocate for religion, but whatever. Um, uh, Join a pickup soccer team. Um, Go to that barbecue that you were invited to. Um, Do the, do social things. Do basic unsexy things that have people in them. It's really simple.
0: It really is, but it's th- that's almost the hard, it's so bizarre. It's like, that's the hard thing to do nowadays, you know, it feels like. Yeah,
1: because we're so busy with all the stupid projects that we've given ourselves technologically wrapped up with meeting deadlines and doing the things and all the stuff. And it's like all this social media shit and all this tech and all these modern contraptions are that we think are so awesome. We're, we're caught up in the creation of those things. To what end? You know, it's like we're building, it's like we're building bridges to nowhere. It's amazing.
0: We're we're like building bridges away from each other.
1: Yeah. And like, oh my God, look at this incredible bridge I'm building. We got to create more tools to make this an even better bridge. Look at the color of this bridge. Oh, wow. Look, this one goes all the way out into the Pacific Ocean. This this bridge is like 80 miles long. Look at that. Isn't that incredible? You know what it needs? It needs another
0: bridge next to it. (laughs) And... (laughs)
1: <laughs> like, ah.
0: well well, it's crazy you say that because we have uh, Elon Musk trying to go to Mars so he's building a bridge to Mars you know yeah. a metaphorical bridge and then we have Meta as well so like we're building bridges away from each other like literally and figuratively which it's frightening so to fi- to finish on a, a happy note depression so you have some episodes on depression and I think depression is pretty like Uh, I guess the the question I could ask is with depression, do you think some people could be depressed and not know it or, uh, what what are your thoughts around it?
1: For sure. Um, yeah, because you can be gradually sliding down and down and down and not know it. Yeah, for sure. Um, you got to look for telltale signs, you know, or, you know, how active you are. And, um, it's, it's not easy, uh, because it can be so subtle.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. and is it is it likely that we would all experience so two twofold question, uh depression at some point in our lives and also addiction? Yeah. <laughs> no, you meant to but, say you meant to lie to me and tell me yeah. the So,
1: but the thing <laughs> about depression is that depression can be really monstrous or it can be really subtle. So like there's some forms of depression where you can't get out of bed and you have these what's called a major depressive depressive episode. And you can't, you don't eat, you don't whatever. You're just, you don't leave the house and you, you people self-harm and they, it's terrible stuff, right? Um, and then there's the more subtle form of depression, uh, which is just sort of, you're sort of sad more days than not. And you have these sort of lingering symptoms of, of sadness and mal-dysfunction and stuff. So it, it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's different, different types of it, but yeah, pretty much everybody. I mean, who, who doesn't feel sad sometimes? Yeah. You know, who's ever been involved in something like, you know, who's ever like, you know, how many people do you think have a sugar addiction? You know, <laughs> you know, how many people can't stop eating chocolate? You know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you think about like, uh, you know, grief and stuff like that. It's it's normal to feel sad sometimes, but not uh, without cause, you know? Um, and I feel like that's where a professional will come in and say, this is like, it is, it isn't, or it is depression or it isn't. Or it's that uh, severe type or that uh, lesser type, and how to manage it. Is that something that you work with commonly with clients?
1: Yeah, all the time. It's a constant battle against the elements. <laughs> yeah, all the time, all the time. Um,
0: yeah. To yeah. get back to our roots and sort of connect.
1: Yeah. In real life. Yeah. Yeah. Most, you know, like Carl Jung said, and uh, we can kind of maybe close out on this one idea. Carl Carl Jung said he was tired of trying to spearhead individual neurosis or individual bad habits that people had or bad ideas. And he was more interested in just the growth of the person. Because as you grow and you become more yourself, more expansively you, and as your consciousness increases, all your bad habits will sort of ameliorate. They'll sort of slough off. They'll flake away. They'll They'll float away into space, you know? And really, it's about growth. So if you've got a major issue, most of the time, spearheading that issue is not the solution. It's, it's your own personal growth that will take care of that problem.
0: To me, that means a rising tide raises all boats. <laughs> a what? A, a rising tide raises all boats. To sort of just grossly oversimplify your really eloquent uh, quote. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but sure.
0: absolutely. Brent. Benjamin, thanks very much for your time. It's been a really interesting episode. Um, All right. And I'll attach all your your links and everything to the show notes so that people can find you and check out your own podcast. All right. Thank you so much, sir. Great. Thank Thank you very much. Bye-bye.